DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special is going on now. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of January. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. I am curious about multiple things, but one thing I want to talk to you is about coaching a team on a streak. Uh, Jazz with uh, five in a row going into the Pelicans game. Aggies with eight in a row going into the CSU game. And the players must be aware of this stuff. How much do you address it? And also negative when it's a losing streak in that. How do you talk to players about that? Because you know it can get on their mind for better or for worse. I think you, you educate them. And, and teams that are on winning, we'll, we'll look at the positive side that are on the winning streak. And uh, as you meet and watch film and prepare and have conversations with your team, you're talking about those things that you've done well. And you know, going forward, every team that you play has a different challenge for you. You know, whether matchup, size, quickness, uh, a younger team versus a team that's maybe more mature, has lots of transfers. So, you know, I, I remember in, in, in my dealings with teams, and we once we got it going, I, I know there was a time when we had like forty some, we had won forty some games in a row at home, and that became something that people were talking about. And, and and you can't avoid that when people talk about it or read about it, but you got to go back to what were those things that put us in that position to do those things, and that's what you remind them. I mean, there's the the execution of an offense or a defense are, are all really important, and but what really comes down to winning and losing is the intangibles, and you know have, having a great attitude, uh, get your mind right. You know, being confident even when things are going against you. The intangibles, the the, the work ethic, that the you know, the willingness to continue to compete in every possession. It's usually the intangibles that sustain long streaks. Because if you have a long streak of something, we're talking from a positive mindset, means you probably got pretty good players. You prepared the guys, but winning and losing is going to come down to those that you know dive and get the loose ball or block out or, you know, the things that we don't talk a lot about but have a whole lot to do with winning. So for those teams that are doing that, you know, I I would say this to the coaches especially is enjoy it. And I think we get so caught up and we're so stressed out and it becomes more about losing than it is about continuing to play well and winning. So those are special times and every coach has them. Uh, when, uh, you know, whether it's in college or it's in, in the pros or wherever it's at, but you're constantly reminding them and when you watch film about why we've had success and that we need to continue down that path. And then when you see things break down a little bit, you obviously bring that to their attention. But you don't need to talk a lot about it. They know. But I think if you control the intangibles, the effort, the attitude, the selflessness on a floor, making an extra pass, Doing those kinds of things, uh, you, you, you keep yourself in a position to extend those positive winning streaks and when things are going well. How much is it about your team as opposed to the team you're playing? No, I, I think the majority of it is your team because you, you don't have a lot of control over that other team. Now, what you've done, you've watched a ton of film, and maybe you've already played them one time, 
And so you learn things about their teams and how they react to certain things. But I think most of all, you're trying to find out what the strengths of your team are and put your players in positions where they can be successful. And it seems pretty simple, but at the end of the day, whatever you're doing offensively uh, may not match up real well with somebody that you're playing. You know, maybe their strengths, they've got great size, you're going to have a hard time, you know, guarding at the rim and you're going to have a hard time guarding them uh, uh, on the perimeter because they've got great cards. So you assess the individual opponent that you're playing and uh, and then when you do that, it gives people confidence. It just you everybody's more confident when they're prepared, and when they're not prepared. And you know, as a coach, every coach can look back and go, "Wow, I didn't do a great job in preparation." Doesn't mean we didn't spend two or three hours doing something. We just had the wrong focus. We we didn't see this coming. And as I've watched college basketball today, and I look at the close games. And, yes, it does come down to execution. But what it really comes down to is if it's defensively, just having the toughness, again, the mindset that we're going to get a stop no matter what. Guys are connected defensively. Guys are connected offensively. So, yeah, it may be a special play, but oftentimes it comes down to the intangibles and making sure guys are competing and together and are being selfless and unselfish on the floor and, Things that you've done, you know, I find that sometimes, and I'm, I was guilty of this, and I'm sure other coaches are too, you, you tend to overcoach. You know, things are going, we're going we're gonna to overcoach. You know what, let's just get them to do the same things even better. You know, focus on the simple things and get them to do that at the highest level repetitiously, and that's where they'll get their confidence. Uh, when you're, and I, I remember making these mistakes as a young coach, and even at times in college, trying to overthink the game and trying to do something new that seldom is. I mean, calling a timeout for an out-of-bounds play, yeah, you're going to do that once in a while. But uh, to change courses, to change the the philosophy of how you're going to play in the heat of the moment never really works that well. You, you've got to just stay with what you know is true, what you practice, what you've perfected, and, uh, and you go forward. It's not – guys don't talk about that stuff a lot. You know, that, that's more for the media and the fans to talk about it. But you will, on occasion, in a team meeting, you know, they'll look at each other. They know you don't have to talk about it. They know exactly what's happening here and who they're playing. So the Utes had a uh, – their last coaching change was painful. Everybody transferred. The new staff had to come in. And you can't be more more ground zero than those guys building from the from the ground up. And they had a couple of NCAA teams, a Sweet 16 and second round in there. Then they had a couple of NIT teams. Then they had a couple teams that are right at 500 in the league, barely over 500 outside the league. And now they're five and six, and they're two and five, and they lost three out of four at home. It's clearly going the wrong way, both in the small picture and in the big picture. Coaches stick together. If I've learned anything over time, all coaches, almost all coaches, unless it gets really personal, they sympathize with each other's struggles. They know how hard it is. Is there any advice you could give? Is there anything you could say that like, could help turn this thing around? Because it is really going the wrong way. You know what? I mean, we've, all, we've all kind of been through this. And I think the first thing you do as a staff is you really look at you know, what you believe, who you are as a team, and in the technical part of it, and making sure that that uh, we haven't missed something. 
and you know if, if the system seems to be good then the system is good and then then obviously you're looking at players and looking at their mindset and, and it's hard for players we live in such a public world now with the you know just social media all at all the different platforms of social media they can see and be assessed and evaluated as soon as the game's over that's not something I had to deal with a great deal with in terms of my players. But if, if there's anything, the most important thing you can do as a coach is really, really go out and connect with your guys. And, and, I, and you've got to know your guys. And you could, This is when your assistant coaches play a significant role. And listen, I, I was in the business long enough to know that when you have a staff where an assistant coach has another agenda than what the head coach has, uh, it's hard during these times to get kids to believe and to sustain it. I, I think the the best thing that Utah can do right now, the only thing they can control, is to, to focus on the positive things and then look at the negative things. Where have we got to be better? But at, at the end of the day, that coaching staff has to be up and positive and believing uh, rather than scowling and yelling and screaming and blaming. That never works. It never works. Not with young people today. And you both know, you've lived long enough, the, the athlete today is different. They, they need, they want to, to know, be in the know. They want to be connected. They want to have a relationship with their head coach. I, I hear that all the time uh, from people that, you know, that a player is really connected to an assistant coach but doesn't have a relationship with the head coach. That's a long-term mistake. Not, not that you, they, of course the coaches are going to spend more time than the head coach, but a head coach really has to embrace their guys embrace the fears that maybe they're going through or that maybe he's going through. And, and when you do that and you get that kind of honesty, uh, it brings out something, the intangible things that you can't teach, that there's something inside that says we're going to compete at a level we've never competed at. And that they may well play better than they've ever played and still lose due to the fact that, you know, they're playing somebody better or more experienced or whatever the circumstances. End of the day, you know, there's going to be someone to evaluate that coach, that team, and we know in the last 18 months there hasn't been a lot of change because of COVID. Uh, we're kind of coming out of this COVID, and there's been a lot of unfairness in terms of teams and what they can do and can't do. Everybody's had a different issue. But uh, I, I think first and foremost is your connection with your guys and getting them to believe and be positive with them. It, when it's hard and tough, it's not the time to about screaming and yelling and finding fault. It's a time to come together and look at this from a different perspective and support them. And even in the little, and you know, in practice, little things happen. Letting guys know, reinforce the good, reinforce that's good. That's where we want to be. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a bottom line business, even in college and pros, where over a period of time, if things don't work out, they make changes. I've I've lived through that a lot, you know. You stay in this business long enough, you lift up those kinds of things. And uh, but I I gotta believe that uh, that they'll do those things. And and you know we like to see Utah turn this thing. I mean they they don't have a lot of depth, and uh, you know they they've got a they're they're shooting shooting the ball inconsistently at times. Sometimes those aren't things you can fix during the season. So you, you know you better look at the ends. The defensive ability of the team, the rebounding, loose balls, the the intangibles, the things that really make a difference in winning games. If you're if you're not shooting the ball well, then 
you know, make sure that there's the one or two guys that can shoot or they're doing the shooting, but everybody can defend and, uh, and, and try to turn this thing. They've had some good wins, uh, but they certainly this year it's been tough. And I, it's really hard for me to evaluate what this whole COVID thing can, it could be and what it looks like. Uh, I haven't been able to, Fresno State, I haven't been able to go to practices and go public there, but I've talked to the coaches and they've had a lot of experiences with COVID there and it's, it's been very destructive. And so I think everybody, coaches, fans, everybody needs to be uh, a little more mindful of and, and maybe a little more tolerance with the fact that this last two years coaching has is, is not been an easy thing. Recruiting has not been an easy thing. It doesn't mean that coaching changes won't take place. They will, and if they're justified, they should. But uh, I, I am glad I'm not coaching during this environment because I can't even imagine some of the things that guys are going through where you don't play for two or three weeks because of uh, COVID protocol. So you look at the way Mark Pope has built his program, and it's heavy on transfers, right? I think this year where they start in three transfers, guys that just come into the program for, well, Barcelo's been there a couple years, but the, the guard and the center, this is going to be it. And you know, he's having a fair amount of success, and he did it last year too, brought in. It's in a little, little bit of an unusual situation. Toulson was in the program and left, and bringing in him and a couple other guys and these UVU guys, and he's had the success. Whereas you look at Utah, and they've had a slew of guys transfer out. They have brought in a couple of guys off the top of my head, uh, Bearfield, and then they had a kid from uh, Long Beach State a couple years back, a little smaller guard, and he was a player. So I'm wondering, uh, something's got to change with Utah. And, and, you know, when you came into town – uh, Utah was at its literally at its zenith, you know, going to the Final Four and all that stuff. Okay. And so you, we saw that, and I was covering the team for the paper. But it was a different era. I'm wondering if you think that maybe one way to to rejuvenate the program is to start looking like Pope did and see if you can start bringing in some more kids on a one or two year basis. Well, I I completely agree with that. I mean, I, 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 we lived through that. I mean, when we came to BYU. You know, six or seven kids went on missions that there was no, you know, there was just a couple of guys in the program. And I, I can remember telling my staff, I said, listen, number one, not one of us has any Division One experience as a coach. Players, yes, but not, not as a coach. And I said, I'm just looking at this thing from the outside. If we're going to fix this, it has to be fixed with transfers. And whether that's a junior college transfer or a college transfer, whatever the circumstances were. And I started thinking about, you know, who who we ended up you know you know you look back and and you start thinking about uh, you know Terrell Day Travis Hansen Trent Whiting Devin I mean Keenan Young Arujo I mean we we could name ten twelve thirteen people that we brought transfers in because we knew we didn't have the time to deal with the uh, the mission to two year mission piece as well as the time to develop players that would could take two or three years. And, and we just felt strongly about that. And we all had connections there because we had all come from places and coached at places where, you know, we developed kids that were transfers. And so it was the piece that was important for us. We had to do that. I mean, there's, all, there's no way that we, we, can, we can do this. And you start looking, <clears throat> even Ron's, <clears throat> Ron's lease is only there for a year. 
uh, Brian Dignan, a young man that came in, uh, Terrell O'Day, who came in. All of them had an influence. Travis Hansen was a junior college transfer. Uh, you, you go down the road and you start looking at the, the people that we brought in, and it allowed us to be successful sooner than we could get, because we couldn't get a high school kid in the state when we came, because uh, Utah was so dominant, had their hands on everybody, and we were just trying to prove that we belonged. So in the meantime, we did it this way. Well, let's, let's go back now, I'll go for, move forward, and it's 2021, and we're, we're looking at pretty soon, in a, in a few months, where every young man who's in a program can leave after a year, one time, without penalty, and play. So, BYU, you're right. BYU uh, had Toulson last year. He had a, a veteran team that came back. And, and, and when you take a look at BYU's team this year, and you look at Barcello, Harms, Everett, Harvard, those were all transfers. Now, you know, so obviously some of them are from, two of them are from UVU, one's from Arizona. Well, you, you take those guys away and, and go the more traditional way with high school kids, you're not who you are. And, you know, Haas and Childs were in the program for a long time, but Toulson comes in and gives them a huge spark. And so, yeah, I, I, I fully believe that you have, you have to, to tap into the transfer pool. I mean, every year you've got to have your eyes and ears. And everybody's got to be open to when you go out and recruit. You're not just recruiting and watching guys play. You're, you're looking at other programs and seeing people that are unhappy and want to leave. And, and if, if they're the right people and they fit into your system, and I, and I think what happens, I would just tell you this, my experience, when you bring in guys that have come from community colleges or have come from another institution, it's not always been a bad thing, but typically something was wrong, and they have something to prove. And when you get a group of guys like that that are all on the same page, I, I, I look at this BYU team, and I've watched them play five or six games, and you know they're not they're not a great offensive team. I mean they're not putting up great numbers. They're not there's not twenty and thirty point nights, but this team has a toughness to them, which I I uh, look at and say you know when you come from somewhere else and things aren't right, you, your your mind's different. I, I'm the, I'm gonna go here and make a point. I'm gonna transfer. I'm gonna defend. I'm gonna do the things I got to do, and the thing I like about Mark's team is they playing with a sense of urgency. I mean, they, every one of them individually has something to prove. Barcelo left Arizona. He wanted to be somewhere else. That coaching staff did a great job. You don't think it's important for him to come to BYU and be successful and let those guys know that he could, could have played for them if they had given him a chance? I'm not saying that's his thoughts. I'm just saying that's a potential scenario. You know, you're in harm's who played at Purdue, and, you know, I, he had a good career there, but something wasn't right. He's ready to leave. He's motivated. And you've got a coaching staff that has played all over the country, uh, collegiately and professionally, and I just think there's a sense of urgency with this team. I mean, I, I don't think this is a great offense. I, I love what they do offensively. I love the attack mode of ball screens and back cuts and – all the action away from the ball. I love what they do. But, you know, this isn't a top 10 or top 20 team offensively. But I'll tell you this, defensively, they, they have really, really ratcheted it up from last year. And I, I just think it's they, they've made it really difficult on opponents. Uh, this is a team that really is, seems together. 
and give the credit to the coaching staff and to the players for understanding how that works. And there's just, there's just a culture there right now where you bring guys in that all have something to prove and you get all get on the same page. There's a different energy there. And I think that's what you have. At, I mean, I had a conversation with Mark Pope a year ago. And it was just a, just a – I was in town – and we just chatted things about the team and how well they were playing. And he just casually said to me, I don't think, I don't think people realize how good this next year's team is going to be. And he said, we'll see what happens and what falls out. But even he knew, and maybe too because he'd watch Harvard, you know, who was one of his players. And you look at the kid now and he's having an impact. He, you know, every, you know the, all of the players that he brought from his own, he knew what their capability was. And that gives you an advantage, too, when you get transfers who you've already coached. Uh, that lends itself to uh, a really, really, really positive situation in the locker room and on the floor. But this is a together team. I mean, they're 11-3 they're and because they're defending. And, uh, and, and not to say they don't have really, really good solid offensive principles, but what these guys are defending and rebounding, it's like you watch that last game, there was a sense of urgency and you can get teams to play with a sense of urgency for, you know, 30, 35 minutes a game, you're going to have success. And uh, so they, they're doing the right things. They got the right people with the right mindset. And, uh, and they're playing with, with a, a sense of urgency every time they come out on the floor. So I like this team. I think they're an NC2A team. If hopefully no one gets hurt and they can move forward. Two really good wins on the road. Uh, both those games they could have easily lost, probably should have lost. Uh, but give credit to them for getting stops in the second half. And uh, their size uh, at the rim has been effective. But those were two, two good wins that uh, that team needed to move forward. Steve, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Thanks for talking a little basketball. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good week. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.